You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Systematic Geekology. We're going live. Is Indiana Jones more than just a man of the past? Who are the Super Scrolls? And is it better to remember our pain or to leave it all behind? We are the Priest of the Geeks, and I am joined by two awesome guests today for another What's News episode. I'm here with Kevin Schaefer. Uh, he's been on the show before, um, and we're also here with the one, the only Adam Bear. Um, you guys want to say anything about what else you guys do? What other podcasts you're on or anything real quick? Sure. Uh, yeah, well, I'm glad to be back, Josh. Thanks for the intro. Uh, I am Kevin Schaefer. Um, I'm writer, podcaster, geek related. I co-hosted The Joy of Geek for a long time. Um, and my friend Rachel Poor still hosts The Joy of Gaming, so you can check that out. Um, I also created the Wednesday Lounge podcast, which we haven't recorded in a while, but you can still find us on Spotify um, and iTunes and all that. And then, yeah, right. I work a lot in the rare disease space um, and I host podcasts there. So kind of all over, but big pop culture nut. So you'll see me at Comic-Cons in the North Carolina area. Nice, nice. All right, Adam, what about you? Well, you know, I'm pretty new to the whole podcast scene. I want to do more of it. Um, I'm really just a, a student of nerdism and nerd based things and i do a lot of nerd criticism i'm also um a i've done stand-up comedy and things like that and i'm trained to be a pastor right now so i i I like to merge those two worlds of christian beliefs and nerdism um so yeah i'm pretty new to the scene but i'm excited a couple chances i've got to be on the podcast with y'all and i'm looking forward to doing more when the chances come up yeah, awesome, awesome. Uh, you might if I ask, where are you planning on? A, you said you're training to be pastor. What uh, church is that with? Well, no one right now. I'm just studying. I'm just studying. Uh, I, I was. A, uh, I have an undergrad, undergraduate degree, and um, I felt the calling a couple of years ago uh, to become a pastor to study ministry. So I've been studying. I've had some opportunities to preach and be in front of people, and I kind of decided to stop doing stand up to focus on doing more preaching. So that's kind of a fun tra- transition. Nice, nice. Awesome. Well, we usually will talk about something we've been geeking out on recently, but that's sort of what the whole episode is. So instead, we're going to we're going to be talking about Star Trek Strange New World Season 2. We're going to talk about Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and just Indiana Jones in general, because why not? We all love Indiana Jones. And then um, also we'll be discussing, of course, Marvel's Secret Invasion. We're four episodes in right now as of the recording of this. We're going to go back when it's done. Ryan Doze from Across the Bifrost is going to join us to do kind of a review at the end, but we kind of to catch you up on what we're thinking so far. But before we do that, we're going to do our lightning round to where we just talk about things that aren't the three main topics that we picked for the day and just some other stuff that we're geeking out on. I'll go ahead and start. Um, one thing I've been really into is the I always love Hellboy. Everybody knows Hellboy. That's like my prime, like favorite comic series, really. Um but right now, Hellboy in the BPRD, 1957, Fearful Symmetry, just came out last month. Um, they're going to be doing another one, I think, this month. Um, I'm just really excited they got it back. I, I like the Hellboy in Love series, little mini series they did. But I'm thankful to be back to some of the just classic Hellboy on some paranormal adventure kind of detective work stuff. So fun for me. Um, Kevin, do you have anything you want to mention that's not in our main three today? 
Well, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I haven't read it yet, but I picked up at Barnes & Noble a few months ago when the one near my house was clearing out because um, they just moved locations. But it's Hellboy and the BPRD. I, I'm trying to look at the title over there. I think it's 1956, but um, he's got like a cool hat on and stuff. But like um, I just picked up his little cool and I've read a lot of the original Hellboy. Um, also one of my favorites, but, uh, but I will pick up, read that soon. But I wanted to quickly talk about my adventures with Superman, which just dropped on Max on Ooh. Friday. It is delightful. Um, so if for those of you who don't, I mean, it kind of like fell through. Well, it got announced a while ago, and then I hadn't heard about it. But um, it's a new animated series on Max, and it features Clark Lois and Jimmy Olsen, like college age, young adult. They're all interns at the Daily Planet. Uh, it has a very anime influence to it. It's not anime, but sort of in the same way that like Avatar Last Airbender is not an anime show, but derives much of its influence from that. You can see the aesthetic there. It also reminds me a lot of the comic Superman Smashes the Clan, which is one of my favorites. Ooh, um, and, yes, just aesthetically and tone wise, it very much is like that. Even though it's set in modern day, um, it's just got a really good feel. Um, so the first two episodes dropped on Friday. I loved them. Um, looking for that weekly. Um, the only big name really that I know on that is Jack Wade voices Superman. Um, and um, the rest of the cast is really good so far. It's got some interesting villains lined up, but it's doing both kind of the younger Superman and origin, but not like heavy handed. So I like it. It's a lot oh, of fun. Yeah. I have to check that one out. I, uh, I've actually, I never really liked Superman until like the last couple of years. And then mm-hmm. some of the newer comics just kind of seeing his family life actually yeah. kind of got me intrigued. Yep. I'm like, okay, let's see. Let's see what's going on with this guy. Adam, what's going on, man? Anything you've been uh, really getting into recently? Yeah, I've been geeking out on um, yeah, Invincible. I picked it's it up randomly. Yeah, I've really liked the comic book, and I, I really want to do like an in-depth study between the differences between the comic book and the TV show. Because even though they're the same story, there were really interesting choices that they made between the two of them. You know, why they did some things, why they didn't do some things. And there's a really cool, fun discussion to have. And I, I, I'm thinking about, uh, I really want to do that, but I've really enjoyed the comic book. I enjoyed how much, m- I thought it was going to be, m- it's a pretty R-rated comic book, but it's not like a hard R. It's a really soft R, and I like that. I like that there isn't overtly, you know, sexual themes in it, but they're, you know, they're very re- realistic relationships. And um, I really like, I've just been really psyched into, yeah. into it and really enjoying it. I think I read like half of the book series in like a couple of days. And I'm like, well, I got to take a couple of weeks off and then I'll read the <laughs> other half, you know, because there's like 150 of them in the original run. So, yeah, no, I, I've been really geeking out was, about them. That's what I was like when I first uh, found the Iceman, Ice Cream Man comics. Man, mm. Ice Cream Man, wild. But yeah, no, Kirkman does an awesome job with those comics. And uh, We got a few people on our show that wants to talk about the Invincible show and comics. So. Wow, yeah, deep in the middle of it. Um, as far as other things for the lightning round, uh, there's a lot of shows coming up I'm excited for. Like, if we didn't have so many things that just came out to talk about, we probably would have picked one of these for the main ones. Um, Good Omen season two is coming up. I loved season mm. one. Um, anything yeah. David Tennyson really, I love. So, there's that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's heaven and hell. What do we really define as evil? Angels, demons, all the good stuff. I, I enjoy all that kind of stuff. Um, Futurama season 11. It's finally arriving, thanks to Hulu. Or, you know, we should wait till it comes out 
decide if I want to say thanks or yeah, thanks, Hulu. <laughs> but it's coming out. I'm excited. I I love Futurama. I'm glad they got um they got Bender back, so that's good. And of course, One Piece. I am begrudgingly excited for the live action One Piece coming to Netflix next month. Um, you know, live action animes usually don't turn out great, but they built the entire ships for some of these sets. They casted really well. I know they're putting a lot into it, so I, I'm very cautiously excited. Um, either you guys have anything else for the lightning round, Kevin? Um, I was, well, it's summer blockbuster season, so yeah. really excited for Mission Impossible this week. Like, I just showed my dad Mission Impossible Fallout the other day because um, he hadn't seen any of them. I'm like, let me just show you the best one here because, like, that is a series that gets, oddly enough, gets progressively better. Um, most franchises usually the other way around, um, but I'm really stoked True. for that. Um, other than that, um, well, since they announced, I mean, I could go on a like whole tangent about <laughs> DC right now, but since they announced that the Batman movie is going to be Bruce and Damien and like heavily based on the Grant Morrison yeah. run, I've been going back rereading the Grant Morrison, Batman and Robin run, which is still fantastic all these years later. Um, I mean, I had read it probably a few years ago on DC universe and then, um, started picking up, going back, collecting the old trades. Um, that is just a wonderful run um that still has a prominent influence and i'm really excited to eventually see like that version of robin on the big screen oh yeah no that's gonna that's gonna be good all right adam did you have anything else for the lightning round no no i'm just excited to get into the topics oh yeah yeah uh, we have some some great topics coming up um speaking of which first thing up i want to talk about is Star Trek Strange New World. We're in season two right now. I think we're three or four episodes in that. I think we're four episodes of that and three episodes into Secret Invasion. Sorry, I've been watching them both like side by side because one's Wednesday, one's Thursday. Hard to keep up. I'm really, really loving this. Really excited for what they're doing. Um, What what are y'all's history when it comes to Star Trek or even, you know, new Star Trek, as some people call some of the new stuff? I think you guys will have more to say on this. Like I, so Paramount is one of those streaming services I don't have, right? It's because there's so many. Yeah, that's like, fair. Um, but, um, but with Star Trek, so growing up, I was always more of a Star Wars, you know, from the, um, from the get-go. But then when the Abrams movie came out uh, in 09, I wanted to just like check out some of the, and just kind of see what it was all about and everything. And so I've watched a good bit of the original series um, and sort of like uh, some of like Next Generation, some of, um deep space nine like kind of random really um but you know i mean i like i mean i know the abrams movies are much more star wars like um and like <laughs> yeah. more action heavy but um but i did watch all those and i've seen a lot of the movies too um of course I love wrath but i've heard nothing but great things about change new worlds i'm gonna get like it's one of those many things on my list that i'm gonna get to but i just gotta like bite the bullet and subscribe to yet another streaming service um <laughs> but um but i have heard by far that it's like the best of all and like it both combines you know the sci-fi you know principles of the star trek with also some cool action and cool modern stuff as well um so i do look for but feel free to spoil do not worry about me it's like i say um <laughs> but um yeah i wish i could say more on this one but i know yeah you guys i think will have more expertise on this uh, yeah. matter yeah and i i haven't been a huge trekkie like my whole life i um when I was younger, my aunt, who got me into Star Wars, I've always been bigger on Star Wars myself, yeah. too. But she also made me watch the original Star Trek movies. Mm -hmm. And I loved those. Eventually, there was a few different times I always tried to watch um, Next Gen, and I've never got into it. And that's always shocking to people. But 
you know, I'm known as Josh with wrong opinions for a reason. It's fine. It's okay. <laughs> I, um, but when, um, Lower Decks, Star Trek Lower Decks comes out, mm. it's like an adult cartoon, Star Trek universe in canon. It was so good and it was so funny. And some of the jokes I was like, I could tell they were making fun of other Star Trek. And I was like, I need to understand the joke better. So I went back and watched stuff for the sake of the bit, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it ended up making me fall in love with some of these other series. Like um, Deep Space Nine is really one that I really fell in love with. Yeah. I've actually seen it a couple of times just in the last year. So it's, mm-hmm, it's been pretty mm-hmm. great. Yeah. Um, Adam, what about you? What's your history with Star Trek in general? Well, let's see here. <laughs> um, uh, uh, you know, my, my, my dad's a huge nerd and he, he handed that down and uh, we were pretty steep, uh, probably a lot more into Star Trek than we would have Star Wars. I always loved the concept of these big naval like ships fighting in space. I always loved that idea. And, um, uh, you know, I've seen all of uh, the original series and I've seen a huge portion of Next Generation. I've seen a little bit of um, Star Trek Voyager, but Deep Space Nine was really my jam. It, it still is my jam. I, I think it's probably one of the best um, Star Trek series uh, out there. Most of a lot of like the alien laws of things, most of what we know about Ferengis and um, Klingons, a lot of that comes from Deep Space Nine or it expanded upon Deep Space Nine. And I, the acting in it is just top notch. You know, I'm a theater person, so acting performances and um the uh, you know the, the, what actors bring to these stories is so important to me and i love to analyze it and comment on it and just some of the some of the acting in uh deep space nine is just unbelievable now that's not to say there isn't some great acting from uh the original from all all of the series there is um but i was thinking about it today what makes deep space nine so interesting is you know, it's it's the diversity of storytelling. You know, when you when you have the original, when you have like Star Trek and Next Generation, it's this it's the same crew kind of going into strange new strange new worlds, yeah, uh, strange new environments. Versus Deep Space Nine, it's creating stories from this stable environment. And so you have a cop episode where they're trying to figure out a murder on the station. And then you have pop political warfare and there's all these just different layers. And it's, it's this, it's two very different stories in the same universe, which is so cool to me, but I, I've been, I've been really into the movies. I was able to see, um, I didn't get to see undiscovered country in theaters because I was just a little bit too young, but I did see, um, uh, uh, next generation or uh, uh, Star Trek Generations and on. I've seen all the movies in theaters, Ooh. and I love the Abrams, nice. Abrams edition. I thought it was fantastic, well acted, well written. Uh, Beyond and the other one, I can't remember its name off the top of my head. Uh, they were okay. Into they were dark. a little bit lack into, into darkness. darkness. Yeah, yeah. Beyond and into darkness, they were a little bit lackluster compared to the Abrams one. Compared to the original Abrams one. Um, but they were still very good in their own right. They're, they're all very different styles and I haven't got a chance to get into new world, but I keep hearing good things about it. And I was really worried that the brand was destroyed, but I'm so happy to hear. I've got to see some clips of Picard and, um, I've really enjoyed what I've seen from Picard and, um, I'm really excited to hear that people are excited about strange new world. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I love strange new worlds. I, um, when it, when it comes to the J.J. Abrams movies, I thought the first two were really done really well. The first one, uh, then Into the Darkness, I thought it was really good. The problem was it's almost like 
Abrams knew he wanted to do that, um, the spin at the end, you know, that twist, spoiler alert, yeah. where mm-hmm. instead of Spock dying, it was Kirk. And it was like, oh, that was awesome. But then it's like he didn't know what to do after that. He knew he wanted to do the <laughs> twist, but didn't know how he wanted to handle it. And I was like, ah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the execution could have been done better. But we're here to talk <laughs> about Straight to New Worlds Season 2. And man, what a journey it has been so far. It has truly been wild. I um, The characters, great. The plots, great. And really... I swear it was a coincidence, but the three things we picked really kind of we're going to see a little bit of a through line in today's episode when we're talking about these things, because it's a lot of like, how does our history impact us now? And who are we really like? What is it that makes me me kind of ends up being a kind of a theme Um, without spoiling too much? You have the first episode, you see Spock ends up in a situation, which, yeah, that's part of why I love it. I like I mentioned, I was introduced to the original movies first. This one, to me, this show is a lot like what I wish the Star Trek prequels would have been. Mm-hmm. But we're kind of seeing the history of characters that we loved. And it also has good storytelling instead of garbage storytelling with the story characters we love. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I, I know. I no, it's a, oh, I have a fondness opinions. for the... <laughs> don't worry. I have a fondness for the Abrams movies. And like, I think the biggest highlight of it is the cast is phenomenal. And like, but I don't have like ardently defend the storylines and really any of them they're kind of like the first one is by far the most fun into darkness i still think is kind of a mess and then beyond i thought like captured that sci-fi nuance yeah. a little more yeah. but uh but but no it, it, you're okay to have those opinions sorry no no no. i like the abrams uh, star trek movies i just didn't like the star wars prequels um, oh, oh gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> this yeah, prequel yeah. i thought was i think is pretty pretty well done although it was a little bit easier because you didn't have as much stuff you had to do like mm-hmm. you know um, but they end up a situation Spock gets to be captain for a run. And man, is that interesting because he's having to go on his gut and obviously he's Spock. He doesn't know how to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you get some of the amusement out of that, but it is so that they can rescue Lieutenant Le'Anne Nunying Singh. I might be saying it wrong. You guys might need to correct me, but um, she's a descendant of Khan. For those of you familiar with the Wrath of Khan or Into the Darkness or any of that other, like Khan is like the big bad of the Star Trek world. Mm-hmm. And here we have his descendant being a member of this crew. Oh, that's cool. And she's stinking awesome. Like she is amazing. First episode, they have to save her. She's in this world where it's like she's having to act the part of her own race and all that. Not really who she is. She ends up getting rescued. Then in episode three, big spoiler alert, she ends up in the past and has an opportunity to destroy Khan and all this baggage she's been carrying her whole life of what her ancestors did, she could stop it. But then that also means she wouldn't exist. Her timeline wouldn't exist. The Starfleet as it exists, as it is, wouldn't exist. The utopia that humanity has created wouldn't exist. (laughs) But, you know, you're kind of faced with that history of the baggage of your own ancestors and all that. Um, Episode two, Commander Una, her entire race they were born on a planet where if they're not like genetically modified with machines and they can't survive on their planet but you know and you can't be in starfleet and be modified in that way so she gets outed they have this whole case i was really happy because it would have been really easy to make it like oh this is actually about racism or this is actually about transgenderism but the show kept it about what it was about and let you make your own inferences if you wanted to so I was glad they did that. They had a whole legal like court 
episode, like court drama episode. It was awesome. Um, and then in episode four, literally everybody forgets who they are at one point. And you're having to like rediscover who you are. So all of these episodes kind of getting to this, who are you? How does the past of your, you know, evil ancestor or whatever else, or your race and how you were modified affect who you are now in Starfleet and how you're able to make a difference in the world today? Really cool themes. I like what they're doing. I, I think for those of you are Adam, I know you've been more familiar with Star Trek long term. As far as like themes that Star Trek likes to emphasize is that kind of normal for star trek to kind of have an ongoing theme like this for a season or oh yeah i mean it's definitely more common in the later star trek i mean when you look at 90s storytelling um it was very episodic um and that's true of next generation it stayed there were overarching uh, villains or overarching enemies that may appear throughout the season uh, and of course there was always the reoccurring character of q um but it really was deep space nine uh, had the more in-depth like you know you had the whole dominion war you had the dominion conflict they actually had their own season of secret war pretty much where they're trying to figure out who are these changelings on earth um so that's really in line it's funny that you mentioned a courtroom drama i immediately went back to a really amazing episode of the next generation where a scientist and picard are debating whether or not um data is uh, a real is real or not is an actual being or just a thing and so it really harkens back to that original those original kind of debates and original kind of stories uh, of the of the next generation and original series so i think that's really cool yeah i've heard i haven't seen that episode yet but i heard a lot about it and um i don't know if you guys know this but i i have been kind of aspiring to get into law myself you know i really interested in like constitutional law different stuff like that so the one episode where they are in the court was really actually quite inspiring to me, especially because at first it seemed like they were going to kind of pull like what a lot of you hear about in some of like American politics. If you keep up with Supreme Court stuff where it's like, um, oh, well, they're arguing by the letter of the law and what the text actually says. But what we're trying to get to is what's really behind that. We want to accept everyone. And it kind of makes you feel like it's going to be this or that kind of thing, or we're going to the letter of the law or the thing. And then it turns out that the lady was arguing this whole time, was actually tricking the other side to showing her exactly what she needed to point to in the law and won it on the letter of the law. So it wasn't even like they didn't even have to do that comparison. And I was like, okay, that, that kind of switcheroo. I was like, that's, that's cool. It really kind of inspired me on the path I was going. I was like, okay, yeah, I loved it. I thought it was a really, really cool episode. And then it's funny being like more of a Star Wars guy because I'm used to just being about the action, you know, Star Wars, you're there to watch lightsabers and blasters go off. And this whole episode is just, they were in the court. They're doing a little investigating, kind of figuring out what needs to happen. What were the laws of Starfleet? And somehow it was still fascinating. Well, and that's what was so intriguing about Next Generation and um, the original series is it, it is about Gene Roddenberry had this really idealized concept of humanity and he wanted to have these feel, he wanted to have these um, uh, discussions and conversations about different themes of the day. You know, his ideas were very progressive for that time period. Um, um, and so it's, it, it was, there was a lot of the episodes were dealing with these different issues and dealing with more higher philosophical ideas beyond just, you know, the action and the intrigue, but actually having these really good discussions. And it's cool to see how that carried on even into Deep Space Nine 
Um, and I haven't seen enough of Voyager, but I'm sure it happened in Voyager. So yeah, it, it's it. You can't really compare Star Wars and Star Trek. Star Wars is fantasy in space. Star Trek is idealized science fiction. They're two opposite ends of the science fiction spectrum, and you can't go in. You can't go in thinking you're going to have similar experiences. You got to treat them as what they are. Yeah. You know. No. Star Trek Discovery, on the other hand, that's a lot of blastum <laughs> stuff. <laughs> a lot of action in that one, but that's that's a whole whole other topic. <laughs> For now, if you guys are good, uh, I'm ready to move on to the next topic, which of course is Marvel's Secret Invasion. Um, current series going on Disney Plus, extremely loosely based on the comics. <laughs> um, if yeah. you don't know. If you're fans of like ongoing movie adaptations of things, the further you get into things, the the further you get from the books. Like it just it, it's just how it is. You know, if you change one minor thing, obviously down the road, that's going to keep you from doing some other big thing. Mm. Just how it is. Also, production stuff, you know, Secret Invasion in the comics is largely just an Avengers event. They aren't going to have Iron Man. You know, they're not going to pay Robert Downey Jr. to show up for the show. Like, it's fine. It's amazing they got Samuel L. Jackson for it. Um, but so far, what is your guys' history with Marvel, the MCU, and then specifically the Secret Invasion comics? Have you guys read those before? Or? Uh, with MCU, I've been there since the beginning. I mean, I talked about this on the yeah. last episode I was on here on the podcast with um, looking at like the cosmology of the Marvel Universe. So um, it's been in the MCU from the beginning. Um, and then comics, like, I've not read Secret Invasion before. I mean, I know the basics, but um, but I'm more like, I like Spider-Man, Daredevil, um, much of stuff like, so there's a lot of it. And well, and in terms of like big event crossovers, I've read a lot more DC, um, than Marvel when it comes to those specifically. Um, but, um, and then with the show, I've watched the pilot so far, I was traveling in the last, um, week here. So, um, I'm a little behind, but I also, it's at that point, I mean, I know not to like, bring up this again of like you know is mc are we experiencing any mcu burnout i'm like i think finally at that point a little bit because like um i loved guardians 3 um and but then ant-man was you know very mediocre and then this one the i heard it got better but the pilot really didn't impress me that much just because i thought the camera work was kind of all over the place um had a great cast and an interesting enough premise but it is also hard for me to get into this concept. I mean, being, you know, some of your favorite characters, uh, oh, they're actually scrolls. Like, I know that is what the show is built on, but um, it's, I don't know. For me, the risk with that is you run the gamut of, like, all this emotional investment you've poured into these characters has actually been fake. And I know, I'm sure there are going to be surprises, I'm going to be twists and stuff, but um, that's where I'm, like, having a little harder time getting into this. But um, I think the highlight of this show so far is by far the cast. I mean, if you have like um, getting to have Nick Fury front and center, getting to have Ben Mendelsohn with him, um, Amelia Clark, and then um, I'm drawing blank on the actor's name, but the guy who he plays like the main villain, and he was um, Malcolm X in One Night in mm-hmm. Miami, which is a great movie. Um, and so there's a lot to, but I'm curious what you guys' thoughts are. But yeah, so I mean, so to sum it up, like longtime MCU fan, um, with, with the comics, I a little bit of everything, but I've not. Um, read Secret Invasion specifically, even though I know the basic premise. Um, and yeah, so a little not crazy on the show. And I also uh, I have to mention this that the I don't know if you guys heard that the the intro for this 
Um, I cannot forget Marvel 4. They used AI to create the um, intro here instead of actually hiring artists. And that still infuriates me that that's where we're at right now. Is um, it's right like it's one thing to use AI for like tools and stuff, but to use it to create an entire intro sequence rather than hiring great artists to do something better. That ugh, like uh, that, that I know that's a whole other discussion, but I had to put that out there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know there's a lot of um, people are torn when it comes to everything that involves AI yeah. stuff. I don't yeah. know. I as much as I enjoy the stories with Secret Invasion. I also do have to admit the scrolls tend to be Marvel's like ultimate cop out. Yeah. You know, yeah. if, if people reacted poorly enough to something they did, then yeah. all of a sudden, don't worry, that character oh, didn't really small. do it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's not just secret evasion. That's like, that's been a problem in yeah. Marvel comics for a long time. Right. Um, right. Adam, Adam, any thoughts? Uh, how does your relationship with Marvel, MCU, secret evasion, any of that? Well, I've got all the thoughts. Um, no, um, uh, I'm a huge, uh, my, like I said, my dad was a huge nerd. I read, I didn't read a lot of the comic books growing up, but I was kind of in and out of them as I could. And um, I was really selective. I didn't do read the Secret Invasion thing, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of the MCU and the storytelling uh, aspect of it and how revolutionary, the, for better or worse, the revolutionary impact MC, the MCU has had on filmmaking. Um, I think the thing that I really like about this series is this returning to what made the second phase so good of the MCU. The, the, the second phase was all about telling superhero stories in different ways. So Captain America, when a soldier was a spy thriller and the kind of return to that is really cool to me and really interesting. Um, and I, I agree with you about the, the, the AI thing, Kevin, uh, it, you know, it's, uh, I get, I read an interview and I get what they were trying to do. They were trying to make it a parallel to like humanity. And they had this whole logical reasoning. I don't, I don't agree with it. Just hire artists, yeah. you know, don't, don't cop out. Um, yeah. um, you're just being lazy at that point, but I, I really loved, uh, this story so far. Uh, the question on my mind, is it too late? Yeah, is the is the damn is did phase four kill the MCU? Because the problem was the you know the best two Marvel movie the the best Marvel movie out of phase four was um was No Way Home and Marvel, and Disney only got twenty five percent of that. Um, Sony got the rest, and then the the second high gross movie since Endgame has been uh, Across the Spider Verse, which again Sony owns that. Marvel doesn't own that, so. Uh, you know, as much as I love, I'm really enjoying Secret Invasion, the spy thriller, terrific acting, really interesting story elements. I'm really concerned that it's a little a little bit too late, that it's already been damaged. And like, I, I don't think people have superhero fatigue. I think people have bad writing and bad storytelling mm -hmm. fatigue. You know what I mean? I think Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, uh, Spider especially Spider-Man Into the Cross the Spider-Verse, proves that not only are we okay with the multiverse yeah. concept, Mm -hmm. But well, we're willing to accept it if there's really good writing and really good acting. Unfortunately, Marvel hasn't really done that. You know what I mean? They haven't really had a lot of that, this thing. And then, and any grace they've added, like, I really liked um, WandaVision. I thought it was great. I thought it was really interesting. I don't care that it devolved to a CGI third act sky beam ending because I really liked the build up to that and thought it was done well. But then they ruined it with uh, Multiverse of Madness. They ruined the character. They ruined the concept. 
There's so many easier things they could have done to make it more interesting. And if the same is true with Secret Invasion, it's like they really, they needed to have forethought of this. And they needed to have two distinct stories happening in the MCU. The multiverse storyline and the Squall storyline. Everything in the Squall storyline should have been, you know, uh, winter should have been um, Falcon and the Winter Soldier should have had been had been a little bit of it, sprinkled a little bit into that, and, and done some other things, you know. They, you know, and then you have the then you have the multiverse saga, which would then of course be, you know, Loki and um, WandaVision, and then of course uh, Spider Man and stuff. So if you have these two different stories when they come around to doing Kang Dynasty and when they come around to doing Secret Invasion, there would be such a greater payoff. But I feel like they're just kind of been scrambling since phase four to kind of come up with something and do something. And it's just not working out. And I might actually do a lot of the... Oh, sorry. I don't want to... Wait, Josh, you want to go first? Okay. Well, I just want to say, because like, for me, there were a lot of highlights from phase four. I'm not one of those people think like, oh, this killed the MCU, like, because, I mean, obviously no way home, but, like, I really enjoyed Black Widow. I thought that was, like, one of the best, like, I know a lot of people, like, put that toward the bottom. I thought that was a great spy thriller, and it really captured kind of the more gritty aesthetic, like Winter Soldier. I loved WandaVision. Um, I really enjoyed uh, Wakanda Forever. Um, there were, like, there were big highlights for me, uh, but I think that's really the main, is, like, when you introduce something like Secret Evasion that should be very interconnected and should be very much, like, um this kind of story that's gonna have a big impact which i mean i think it will but also not a lot of people are watching it because you know it's just like another project turned out that because of the kind of like more haphazard nature and like less interconnected storytelling Mm -hmm. um that we've seen lately i think it does have a problem when you're trying to do a big crossover like this and so um yeah i just i mean um i'm still a big mcu fan i still see a lot of things but uh but yeah i think they need to figure something out to where they have the fluidity of everything leading up to Endgame, where it was all this like one big story they were telling and, you know, stories within that and it all built to something. And here it's becoming a lot more disjointed and unfocused and that's starting to have an, a ripple effect now. Um, so I, I sure hope they can recover because I, you know, I'm still going to be in EMCU as long as it goes. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, um, Marvel ever since I was a kid, Captain America was like some of the first things I remember reading. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, the Secret Invasion, when I first started getting back into comics, was right during the Civil War. So, uh, Venice's mm-hmm. Secret Invasion was like one of my favorites when I first jumped back in. Big MCU fan from the beginning. Um, and, you know, being me with the wrong opinions, I had to push back a little bit and say Phase Four was one of my favorites that they've done. Um, nice. Just because. I'm a huge Captain America fan. I thought Falcon and Winter Soldier was top tier Marvel. Um, WandaVision, Loki, Moon Knight, Miss Marvel. They were all fantastic to me. Um, but I think what you're going to see change, and this is like some of like where I really enjoyed the shows in Phase 4. A lot of the movies I thought kind of dropped off. Mm-hmm. That was a big thing of whenever they replaced the CEO again. So Disney CEO, Bob JPEG. Mm. He wanted to focus on Disney Plus. He was making it all about the shows mm. and ignoring a lot of their movies. So not just Marvel, but across the board, a lot of Disney yeah. films were failing. You see Bob Iger back. You're still getting some of these things from the end of the Shapek run. But I think we're going to start seeing the movies emphasized again. Yeah, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm interested to see how Secret Invasion plays a part of this. Is this still part of that Shapek plan? Is this going to start building us into the Iger? Um, I definitely think Secret Invasion is going to have a lot to do with the coming Marvel's movie, 
with Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, and I can't remember the other lady's name. <laughs> Monica. Uh, yeah. Yeah, Monica. Yeah, Monica. Yeah. 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 And I definitely think it's going to build into the um, Brave New World movie as well. And possibly the Deadpool. Some of the casting things I've heard made me kind of curious. I don't know. We'll see. Oh, real quick. Did you guys see the Deadpool news today? Today? Yeah. Did you see no, it? go on. Oh, well, <laughs> Has there just been an update since the costumes? No, that's what I was going to bring about. Like, oh. about that. No, they no. they debuted Hugh Jackman in the classic Wolverine costume. Fine. I mean, as soon as they said a while ago, Hugh Jackman and Deadpool, I'm like, okay, well, that's where we're going to finally see it. But yeah, you can see an image. It, but... Yeah, the image is floating around now, and it does look pretty cool. But, yeah. Nice, nice. Yeah, but um, so, uh, Adam, do you say you have seen up to episode three so far? Yeah, yeah, I've been really enjoying so, it. Do you want to recap what uh, what's been going on so far? Spoiler alert for all warning. Kevin might want to plug his ears. I don't no, know. Right. You're good. <laughs> yeah. You're good. Well, you. I mean, uh, the the basic plot's pretty simple. Actually, I I joke because there's a real similarity to the plot, at least the introduction plot to this in Captain America uh, to Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But we won't go there. Um, uh, the basic concept is is uh, a villain, you know, the, the scrolls are, have been living on Earth and, you know, have been kind of, Nick Fluey thought a small kind of colony was on Earth, but as the story is unfolding, we're realizing that there's more scrolls on Earth than Nick Fury originally, originally thought. And Nick Fury has basically come out of retirement to try to solve this problem before it gets too far out of hand. And, you know, they're really emphasizing the personal stakes that Nick Fury has in all this. And we're kind of unfolding and unpacking that character more. And that's been really cool. And the, the first intro, the first episode was really introduction to everything, introduction to the characters and um, introduction to kind of the feel of everything. And then the second episode was kind of just unveiling more of the villain and unveiling more of the concept and kind of just seeing the uh seeing the um fallout from the second episode and then the third episode is really just kind of diving into the conflict of everything and the tension that's growing and kind of just um they're doing a really good job with this villain uh, I can't remember his name. It's like Davroth or Davroth or something like that. I can't remember. The name just flew out of my brain. Um, they're doing a really cool job of creating this character. And you're, you you want you kind of want to be sympathetic of him a little bit. But at the same time, it's like you don't. You know what I mean? He's like, it's obviously he's being very mustache, uh, you know, mustache uh, twisting kind of villain. But at the same time, he's still like, you know, you're you're kind of like you're you're struggling to feel how you feel about him, and yeah, uh, it, it, that's kind of a really brief summary of it all. But it's really it's just a really fascinating kind of um, uh, spy thriller in the sense that you have these super powered things, and you have Nick Fury, and you're kind of seeing you know kind of seeing Nick Fury from a new angle. Yeah, yeah, I um man, so one of the cool things that they brought up that's going to bring us to talking some about the comics, um. So the scroll, just on their own, they take not only your look, like exactly, can look exactly like you. They also have these devices and stuff and can fully take on your memory. So, you know, that whole trick that we do of, oh, well, only, only, you know, uh, just only Adam would remember that one time that we went to the ice cream place in Charleston. Nope. Scrolls know it too, you know, <laughs> so you can't do that. 
Then they have the Super Scroll, which just got introduced in the show. Comics, Super Scroll also get the powers. So they can be Spider-Man. They can be Captain America, etc. That's where it starts getting scary. Because then they can be anybody, any power, any memory. You can't trust anyone. So I got really excited when they dropped that term, Super Scroll. I was like, oh, <laughs> who, which supers are we going to be, <laughs> you know, doing well, do with you, this? Josh, do you think with that, they'll more kind of tease it in the show and then build that up to like the Avengers movies? Because yeah, I, I feel like, like you're going to see I more mean, of it in Marvel's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. Because like, I can't imagine they'll do too much of that on this series. Like since it has so far been more like ground level, you know, agent spice thriller. But, um, but I, that, yeah, I think that would be a cool tease and then the feature in the movies. Yeah. Now I've heard rumor though, that they're going to use it to show the debut of like one of the X-Men or Fantastic Four. And I I doubt that one of the rumors I find a little bit more believable, um, Quake from S.H.I.E.L.D., might end up making an appearance on the show. And that would be something that they could do with the Super Scrolls. Um, for those who don't remember, Marvel had a secret, the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show. The first season was in the MCU, and at some point it stopped being in the MCU. We don't really understand how that works, but it worked somehow. And everybody uh-huh. who watched the show is really distraught because some of those characters we really fell in love with and are just gone now, supposedly. But... They're saying they could make an appearance in some of these shows. They said that for a long time. And now we're getting a show where it would be really easy to have some of them pop up. So fingers crossed. I'd love to see Daisy, a.k.a. Quake. That would be great. She's really cool. Great actress. Um, As far as the comic, um, did you you say, Adam, that you read the comic some? No, I didn't read the comic some. I'm familiar with it. Um, um, But yeah, I'm familiar with it. I just didn't read it. Okay, so. I, I loved this. So for those who don't know, the Civil War event had at the end, Captain America died because he basically submitted to Tony Stark. He won and then he submitted and Tony Stark turned around and killed him because, as I've been saying for a very long time, Tony Stark is just a bad guy. Anyway, um, <laughs> they, in the comic books, in the comics, yeah, yeah. yeah. the movies, movies yeah, different. I, I like the movie version of it so much better, but yeah, I, yes. there's a reason I, yeah. Iron Man's one of my favorite characters in the movies, and then like I like never read the comics, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it gets rough, but Secret Invasion starts, everybody's mourning Captain America, people just like in the show, it starts off, they're blaming Nick Fury. Where was Nick Fury? He's been missing, this is all his fault, kind of deal. Turns out, Nick Fury went undercover a long time ago because he realized. Earth's been invaded by scrolls. We can't trust anything. This little silly civil war they're doing doesn't matter. <laughs> so he's been underground trying to figure all this out. We go through um, and it's, it's really interesting to see. They think they figured out who's who, which ones are scrolls, which ones aren't. This ship lands when the two sides that were part of the civil war are meeting. They're going to fight it out. And then all of a sudden the ship lands and a bunch of the heroes that were already there come out of the ship. Turns out. Some of them were scrolls. Some of them were not. The real Captain America was on that ship. And one of the ways that they knew early on was because who else could have got that ship outside of a scroll empire? <laughs> it's like, really, only Cap could have done that. But we're always kind of curious. Is Cap actually a scroll? We saw him die. Um, you end up learning, which also makes you question Tony Stark, that the scrolls taught themselves to fully believe that they are who that character is. So they don't even know. They have to like, they don't know that they're a scroll. They're that deep undercover kind of deal. 
Um, and they convinced Tony Stark at one point that he was actually a scroll. Turned out he wasn't, <laughs> but he was convinced he might have been because you don't even know. You have no way of knowing. Um, Reed Richards, in the end, basically builds a device that shoots people and can reveal if they're a scroll or not. Kind of a cop out, in my opinion. Um, one of the big takes away that I did like, though, were some of the scrolls who really fully took on the identity of who they took over, took it on so well that they kind of learned those values, those principles. Um, one of the scrolls pretending to be Captain Marvel and actually turned out that he couldn't kill the Avengers because he took on those principles and he realized that that was, might have been right. That maybe the Kree were right, maybe the humans are right, and not the scroll. Um, I, I, if I'm remembering right, one of the scrolls also tried to be Captain America. Same thing happened. They kind of took on his virtues, principles, and weren't able to be evil anymore. So that was always an interesting thing because you have this like on the human side of who's really human, who's really not, and then you have on the scroll side of some of them are starting to turn good because they took on these heroes' identity. <laughs> um, and it really begs the question, both in the show. And, and I would argue also in the um, in the comics, what makes us different? Like, you know, are, is it our values? Is it, you know, your memory? What is it that makes us different from an imposter of us? Like, what is it that identifies me as me? Um, and one of those things is like, sometimes you get really ironic with it, where you see that the scroll better learns the people's principles than that person themselves. Um, and you see, the one time you see it on the show that I thought was really interesting is there's this scene where um, Nick Fury is sitting with one of the scrolls and he's talking about him and his mother used to get on the train and they had to go to the colored train. They couldn't go to, you know, the regular, you know, passengers. And he was talking to this guy. And he's like, we used to play this game. Tell me something I didn't know. At the end of the game, the whole conversation, the scroll begs Fury and is basically like, why can't scrolls and human live side by side? And Fury says, no. And just the irony of... He started this conversation talking about how him and his mother couldn't be, you know, they were prejudiced, were against them. They couldn't live side by side with the others. And then he ends the conversation by saying that he refuses to live side by side with the other. So I thought that was really interesting. Um, I know you didn't see it, Kevin, but what do you kind of make of that kind of conversation and some of these ideas of what are our, our principles and how do they actually stand up when we're talking about people who are different than us? Well, and I think that's like thematically where it gets really interesting because on the outside it's just like oh who's a scroll who's not and kind of mm -hmm. but it's those moments that i think elevated to something like what you saw in wandavision and um and i'm glad you said you liked popular soldier because that was also a big highlight for me that a lot of people didn't like as much but um but i don't know it's a deep philosophical question to unpack like what makes us who we are but um but it is so worth exploring and i and that and especially i think it the what makes that so impactful is to have it with one of the most reserved characters in the MCU who is famously like doesn't tell anyone about who he is. And like, um, you know, all, even the people who have like worked with him for years hardly know him and hardly know um, his backstory. And so I, and anytime you get to see Samuel Jackson dive into that vulnerability, into that emotional depth, it's great. Um, and so that I think is, what make, is something like that makes it really powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Adam, do you have any thoughts as far as like, how, what is it that identifies us and what makes us, how does this inform how we treat the other when we think about our own identity? Well, you know, you know, I think, you know, I take it back to a biblical sense. And I, I think that God created us with a longing and a sense of needing truth. Um, and I think that, I think that the, the biggest issue 
with the squalls. And I, I love the, I love the comparison um, that I love that. I love that you brought up that scene and I'm trying to wrap my brain around what you said, because I think it's a really cool, important thing. Um, part of what the squalls are is they are a lie. You know, they're a false, they're, they're, they, you know, they don't, they don't just be out of, they, they can't just be out in the open. They have to, they have to copy or replace people. And I think that, I think that Nick Fury understands that um, part of the issue is would have humanity accepted the scrolls, uh, you know, back in the, back in the eighties when they first started arriving, would they, would they, would they have been able to accept or comprehend what they are or even trust them knowing that at any moment they could just take out, take over someone's life and take over someone's personality. And, you know, that could be, I mean, I think about that from a realistic, that would be kind of terrifying to think that at any moment, some, someone could just come and replace me and just make me disappear or replace someone that I know. And I love that. Could, that would be a really scary concept, but I think you make a really interesting point of, um, um, of that conversation and the whole conversation about the others and stuff. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. As a big Dr. Who fan, um, that's also why David Tennant said his favorite Dr. Who villains were the Zygons. And he ended up even coming back for the 50th anniversary special just so he could fight the Zygons. And uh, that's kind of Dr. Who's shape-shifting alien, kind of same concept of like, they can just replace you. And it's terrifying because like, what does that do to your family? Like, what could they tell your loved ones that they will always question? Was that you or was that the scroll? Like, they'll never know for sure, you know? Well, and it's interesting you bring up Doctor Who because then in the Peter Capaldi run, I'm also a huge Whovian. Um, in the Peter Capaldi one, when you're having the, con- the the conversation, uh, we won't even go there. Uh, a wonderful one. I love Peter Capaldi. Um, when you're having the conversation of the button, it, you know, it's kind of the, when they have the episode where the two, where the Zygon and the humans are basically was come down to pressing of a button. It's really is the same kind of concept we're saying here. It's, it's not that we can't live side by side with the scrawls or the Zygon. It's that when a factor of the Zygon or the scrawls wants to wipe out of humanity or conquer humanity, then they'll, and whatever justification they have, whether we agree with it or not, when you want to wipe out a whole nother species just to protect yourself, then, then that's the problem. And I think that's the problem that Nick viewing the show is dealing with. It's not just that, it's not just that the squalls can't, it's that the squalls are now all of a sudden refusing to live side by side. And they've elected a radical leader that wants to see humanity wiped out. You know what I mean? How do you reason with that? How do you reason with someone that's going to be like, uh, I'm just going to wipe you out. You're a problem. I don't like you anymore. I don't want to deal with it. I'm just going to exterminate you. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, now that we've stumbled upon it, it's fascinating how much this does parallel that uh, Peter Capaldi Zygon two-part episode. <laughs> um, Very much what, so. Yeah. For those who haven't seen it, what he's talking about, there's a scene where the shape-shifting alien, the Zygon, looks exactly like the woman who's in charge of, I, I think it's Britain's nukes. They look just like each other. The doctor wipes each of their minds clean they have no idea if both of them they don't know if they're the zygon or the human yeah they it's, have a weapon a button that will completely wipe out the other one's race so you know if you're the humans you completely wipe out the threat they can't replace you if you're the zygons you completely wipe out the humans you now have your own planet and you get to have your culture live on and it's one of those what are you going to do because 
what if you're wrong? You completely wiped out your own race. And we're all really the same when it comes down to it. <laughs> well, yeah, it was. Well, and they, they actually, he actually did that a little bit later. Oh, no, no, you're talking about the movie. Oh, you're talking about the movie. I was thinking about the key. No, never mind. No, no let me interrupt. It didn't get fired. I might be confused. <laughs> I, I, well, I don't remember which was which. <laughs> well, there's the, there's the anniversary with Tennant and Smith. And they also have a conversation. And yeah. um, Kate wants to blow up the world, basically wants to blow things up. And Kate Bishop, she's the head of, um, yeah. oh, gosh, I, the name just, I had it like two seconds ago. Um, words sometimes disappear from my brain mid-sentence. Anyways, Same. Uh, uh, and then there's the, the button situation where you had a Zygon of uh, Clara and Kate Bishop fighting over. So they're, they're very similar, but they're, they're two different things. Um, so yeah, they're easy to get confused, but actually, you know, going back to deep space nine, deep space nine, they did the whole secret invasion, deep space nine. Cause you know, they had the dominion, which was a, a race led by changelings and the changelings were infiltrating earth. And so they had this whole s- secret invasion thing. And actually there was a star Trek next generation episode at the end of season one, where an alien race had infiltrated so this is, it's really cool to see that, not to segue into thing, but it's cool to see that this is kind of a interesting story point that's popped up in pop culture over the last 30 years. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating stuff. But when we're talking about identity. I want to go ahead and move on to our last of our three topics. To me, the big identity question in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny is who is Dr. Henry Jones Jr.? Who is Indiana? You know, the, the way this movie ends, spoiler, we discover that the whole thing was really about him finding himself. And that's where I said there was this through line, right? So when I was talking about Stranger World Season 2, you have a lot of this, like, how does our past haunt us? Who are we? And how much does our memories affect us? We go to the scrolls. What makes us different from the other? How do we identify ourselves? And then you get here with Indiana Jones wrestling with this question of who he really is. And how has – and what's interesting is um, Harrison Ford said before the movie came out, he's like, this movie's about age. And it took me a while to really figure out what he meant by that once I saw it, because I was like, it didn't have anything to do with him being old and frail or anything. And it's like, oh, no, it's, you know, as you get older, you go through more crap. (laughs) And as you get through more stuff, you kind of you have a tendency where you can lose yourself. And that's sort of where we see him at the beginning of this film. And it's I thought it was a really powerful film. I loved it. I'll go ahead and say to me, this blew me away um, in part because I was really afraid going into this movie had <laughs> a lot of stuff. I was afraid it was going to be that it wasn't. So that helped me out. Um, but before anything else, uh, Kevin, what is your history with Indiana Jones? Well, similar thoughts as you about the new one. I did really enjoy it as well. And like, um, yeah, Indy's one grown up with for a long time. Um, Cause like, I mean that, like that's one of those franchises that kind of like crosses over between like nerd culture and then mainstream. Like if that, you know, like, like for instance, I mean, my dad was never, huge star wars fan or anything like that but he always loved indie and so like um so i was introduced to the movies from a young age and last crusade was always my favorite um followed closely by raiders um and then yeah similar to you after kingdom of the crystal skull i was like i don't know if they can they have the bandwidth to make another one um and i rewatched all four um leading up to this one so that was fun too to do them back to back because like i hadn't seen Kingdom of the crystal skull in a while and like just to like do the whole series at once and going into this one but um but yeah i really was impressed by this one as well like i i had 
I, I had both reservations and excitement because reservations just because like, uh, is this just a little too late? Are they just like trying to really milk this franchise? But I was excited because James Mangold is directing who, if you don't know, he's direct, like he's had one hit after another. He, but he's done Logan, Ford versus Ferrari, Walk the Line. He really, I, he's one of those filmmakers who doesn't have like a huge, like prolific filmography. Um, but he does like a movie every few years and when he delivers, he delivers. And so when I saw his name, I was like, okay, I'm in. Um, and then that first trailer really got me excited too. And so with, yeah. And I think, does that thing with this one, I think it's more about something than I think that's probably like, that's one of the problems with Crystal Skull was like, it was still, it's entertaining for a good bit, but then the third act kind of falls apart. And, (laughs) and beyond that, it doesn't really come away with like, anything that meaningful this one is very much like a commentary on the franchise without being too heavy-handed it's a great send-off to indie story um and it is also very much captures the pulpy aesthetic of the original trilogy and says something new and so and like is able to inject a bit of tragedy um they're like i don't know how like well so adam you haven't seen the new one yet have you uh, it's been fully spoiled for me i okay okay, that, okay so it's been fully spoiled for me so don't worry about okay, it okay okay so i will so for spoiler alert the way like um and some like it's funny i was talking with a friend the other night who actually is one of the ones who loves crystal skull and he hated what they did with um with here in dial destiny but um but um in dial destiny like um and we start the movie and like uh well after the flashback sequence you know like josh you were saying like indy's old he's like um gone through some stuff and um we learn about halfway through the movie that mutt died in the son the character uh, the son who shia LaBeouf played in christmas fall he died in vietnam and then um that put a huge strain on his marriage to marianne and she left him and so that and so he's at this point both like wanting to die wanting to just like um retire and you know try to live out the days of his life and i uh, so i think uh, like building off that is i think what make the ending so great um because first off um i, I, I say a big highlight of the movie was phoebe waller bridge character um she plays yes daughter and he's a great successor kind of like she's an archaeologist she has like a lot of the same she's almost like friend pointed out she's very much like um um indie in temple of doom where it still has all the skills all the um archaeological basis but is a little more of like just in it for the power and glory and i love that that development showcases but at the end they have both a great arc because um mm-hmm. I, like again i'm going spoilers, spoilers here for people who haven't seen it but um they get to go back in time via the dial destiny um to ancient rome the basically the villains are trying to get back to um like the beginnings of world war ii and so that matt mickelson character um can take over and like instead of hitler becoming um finishing out as the peer he can take over and help the nazis win world war ii they end up instead in the roman empire and um but anyway at the very end um after um they defeat the bad guys and everything indy wants to stay there and remain and like live out um the rest of his days there in ancient rome and just like and he's already shot and he wants to just die there he's like I, and he says, like, to people on our bridge that um, I spent my life, you know, exploring history, chasing history, all that. I'm here now. Please let me go. And what I love the next moment that happens, because you think it might be one of because this is kind of the, like, it's one of those, like, oh, you could kind of see this as the ending. Like, I mean, that's been done before with, like, 
older characters like um there's like let me die but instead keeping water bridge punches him and then forces and takes him on the airplane i loved it because it's comedic and it was also ends this way that is perfect ending because like this opens so many great character questions about who is he um what is his true purpose and um you know and uh, i love that she brings him back to the present and at the very end he has this like wonderful reconnection with marion um that's not i mean it's like cheesy in the sense that it should be um but it's this great uh, thing that ties them together um so it very much encapsulates everything about the title like dial of destiny this is like um okay what has his life been all about and um yeah. and i think like the message is more about not even his accomplishments and all this like action hero stuff but more about the people that he invested in and like that they can still come together at the end uh yeah. so i like yeah. i just really like i thought it had a really emotional heartbeat to it um it's great action sequences um it's still i mean last Crusade is still my favorite but um but this one was really yeah. incredible and i'm glad it's the last one um and not crystal's fault <laughs> um, <so> yes yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Adam, what was you said you had a lot of history with Indiana Jones. You haven't seen this one yet, but what uh, what's your history? With no, it? well, you know, I went up. I grew up just like you guys. I grew up watching it on VHS and stuff when that was a thing. And um, you know, of course, I saw uh, Crystal Skull. And I actually, I wouldn't say I loved Crystal Skull, but I liked it. I liked it enough that I owned it and watched it since it's come out, kind of thing. And I, I think it did a really good job. Uh, uh, capturing the the spirit of the Indiana Jones franchise, um, you know this big adventure. Some of it's a little wonky and a little cartoonish um, at points, uh, but at the same time, I, I feel like those parts of um, Temple of Doom that were a little wonky and a little cartoonish. Uh, so it wasn't too far uh, beyond the thing. I, I I definitely think I have criticisms of Crystal Skull, um, but for me. I liked the way it ended. I ending is so important to me. Uh, you know, I think it, I think it, what make, I think it, a good ending can make a bad show great and a, a bad ending can make a good show awful or in it with anything. It's just like, I think of uh, my biggest example is the mass effect trilogy. If you've ever played that game, I was a huge mass effect fan. I loved the game. I loved the story arc, and I liked the third game. And at first I was fine with the ending. I was okay with it. Um, but over time, I became less and less okay with it, you know, and uh, the way they ended the series, um, not necessarily. And and so ending is really important to me. And I, I really think that the ending of Crystal Skull was perfect for Andy, Andy's character. I mean, you could argue that The Last Crusade was perfect for Andy's, char- Andy's character. But you at the end of the Crystal Skull, you have Andy getting married to this character that he obviously loved. You know, there was obviously way more chemistry with him and Marion and um uh in uh the temple of doom than any other the any of the other love interests he had uh they uh, he, he got this family he didn't know he wanted he got this happy ending he didn't know he wanted and he, he gets to go off in the sunset and, you know i love the whole scene of the hat falling off and and shia labeouf going to pick it up and then it, it, he goes to put it on his head and indy steals it and puts it on his said like no he's the original he's the only indiana jones puts it on his head points his finger in a various and harrison ford way and they walk and i think that's my struggle about seeing dial of destiny is you know i know i know this i and i think the problem is i i I learned too much about what happened behind the scenes and i learned too much about all the drama surrounding it i think if i ignored it all and went into it with fresh eyes and didn't already know how the ending couple of minutes things and 
why the ending is the way it is. Um, if I didn't know all those things, I think I would appreciate better. But really, for me, it's like Crystal Skull ended in a really good way. And I would rather not see Dial of Destiny and be disappointed, uh, take that gamble, you know, because, yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, we decide how we want to view these stories. And just because, like, for the people that are really angry about the, you know, to jump over to Star Wars for the, the people that are really angry about, you know, episode seven, eight, nine, it's like, well, just because seven, eight, nine exists doesn't mean that doesn't ruin four, five, and six for you. I mean, four, five, and six mm-hmm. can still be a wonderful trilogy, even if you hate seven, eight, nine, just because that story continued um, and you didn't like the way that story goes. And I would argue that I didn't like it either. It doesn't change the fact that if you love seven, five, four, five, and six, that it isn't so good. It's the same with Indiana Jones. If you love the first three movies, but didn't like the last two movies, that doesn't mean the last three movies don't exist. It's just, right. you kind of decide where you want to put the stopper in. And like, I'm kind of like, maybe down the road, I'll watch Indiana Jones. I might watch Dial of Destiny. But for now, it's like, I'm really happy with that four story arc and his character and how things. And I think my issue with Dial of Destiny as well is, uh, I think I think they I think they purposely did things just to be confrontational, and I didn't think they needed to do that. Like story wise, like you know, there, there's really interesting story things they could have done that I think are better. But just because I think they could have done things better doesn't make it a bad movie. It just means mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Am I making sense, Sam? No, actually, I mean, I have that opinion a lot. I'm glad you said that about you know people that like say, oh, this ruined Star Wars for me. This ruined Indiana Jones. Blah blah blah. I'm like, I totally agree that just because it's technically canon, you can still enjoy the original trilogy that you love or whichever movies you did. It doesn't, I, to me, that doesn't ruin it for me. Um, so I totally agree there. And um, yeah, and I mean, there are still things I would do differently with this if I like, like not that I'm anyway behind, the, I would have any authority, but like, if I like, I do think there to be some time shaved off on this movie. And the one thing I was like a little annoyed by because it was this big, like, conclusion of the franchise and had a lot of callbacks instead of so there's one new character introduced like briefly and then you know they quickly come off but um but that antonio banderas plays and antonio banderas is great but i was really hoping when um they're like they're about to go to morocco and um indy's like oh i know a guy i was so crossing my fingers that that was gonna be short rounds instead um especially with the yeah on, uh renaissance and like i was kind of disappointed that we didn't get a cameo from him because like he could have been anywhere like um and Temple of Doom is probably like on the like uh one of my least favorite like any movies. I don't like the movie as a whole, but I love Kiwi Khan and I love Jerry uh, and I think that would have been cool cap off to that story. But so there are like minor things I have there, but um but it's interesting, Adam, that you like uh, the Indian Crystal Skull a lot because uh my thing with it and why I think Pibular Bridge character was a much better like successor and like kind of apprentice to Indy is like um I like I think Child Love gives a good performance, but and there's nothing wrong with his character inherently, but he's not really an indie successor. He's just kind of a hothead greaser. Um, it's like uh, it's almost to me like if they had um Jason Todd as like the only Robin and the successor to Batman and not like the others, because like um he's very much his own character, but I DB Waller Bridges has much more in common with Indian is like that archaeological uh, adventure. Um so I liked seeing that uh, pair up, and that's why I like how this movie ended things better. Um, but but it does, nonetheless, though, I Crystal Skull does have a very happy ending for it. You know, that's well, and, then, yeah. and I I never saw Shia LaBeouf's character as a successor. I think yeah. the whole like 
him going to put the hat on his head and Harrison yeah. Ford takes it is like, it's like, no, you're not my successor. I'm still indie. And for me, I thought that was very Indiana Jonesy to not hand off that hat, be like, no, I, you know. Right. So I never saw Shia LaBeouf's character as a successor. So it's not the successor yeah. thing that that would bother sure. me. I think it. I think it is a lot of the drama that surrounded it, all of the shenanigans sure. and tomfooleries and the script rewrites and. You know, I always have hesitation when you hear, oh, there's been like nine script rewrites and they've come back to reshoot four and five times. It's like, that doesn't bode well for me. That doesn't bode well for me. And I, a huge pet peeve of mine. And this is my, if I had picked one thing that's bothered me is when you, is when you introduce plot threads and don't resolve them. That's a huge frustration for me. And the fact that they have this whole murder plot thread and he's being accused for, and maybe, maybe maybe I'm wrong. For everything I've heard is they they introduce this whole plot thread of him being accused of these murders, and then nothing comes of it. It just drops That's out. Actually, very true. <laughs> Until you said that, I didn't even think about because like his movie is pretty long, and like um, yeah, that does happen like early, and then you kind of forget about it because then they just go off and do action sequences. Um, it, it's a huge yeah. pet peeve to mine. It, yeah. it just shows. Yeah, it, it's a it, and it's one of those things. And maybe it's a little OCD of me. But it's one of those things like I, it's hard for me to get past. Like it's like just just resolve it. Just don't. It, it's it shows such lazy writing, and it just makes me think less of the overall production. And this is true of TV shows. This is true of. That's why I'm not a huge fan of J.J. Abrams' mystery box storytelling because he does. He enter he introduces all these story threads and just lets them disappear. It drives me up the wall. It's just like just just come on. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I know we're already over time, but I had a little bit I wanted to say about the movie too. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I had to do some 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 pushbacks on everything because you know naturally. Um, just to give you an idea of my wrong opinions, Star Wars Eight is just one of my favorites. The Last Jedi was great. Um, <laughs> I, 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 I'll, yeah, I'll say yeah, I, I love Last, I love Last Jedi. I'm yeah. cannot stand Rise of Skywalker. That's, oh that's yeah, yeah, same, same. Yeah. Um, I didn't like the last two at all, so if that helps. (laughs) My favorite movie since I was like a young kid. I've always loved Temple of Doom. It's always been like my absolute favorite thing. Um, I even when I was in college, I actually took um, Bible and archaeology because I was like, ah, Indiana Jones, I could take an archaeology class, (laughs) you know, and be caught the next Indy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Why not? Um, And I, I did. I really could not stand the kingdom of the crystal skull i refuse to watch it up until this year i refuse to acknowledge it as an indiana jones movie because to me it was just that bad until until this year when i was at comic-con someone challenged me to watch it differently watch all the films realizing that indiana jones films one of the core tenets of what they are is a critique of the movies of the time Mm. so when you see the um Mm. the last crusade it's a critique of buddy films that's why it's Mm. him and his dad and when you watch Indiana Jones four, you have the terrible CGI. Um, of course, he's critiquing the CGI of the time, and I'm like, oh, oh, yeah. actually, yeah. Mm. and it really redeemed that movie for me. Mm. So I'm glad that got to happen before this, and it really added a lot to how I watched this movie when I went to Dial of Destiny. Um, because yeah, the de aging stuff in the beginning, it, it did it bothered me a little bit, not because it was bad, but because they still used old man Harrison Ford's voice. Okay, that took me a second to get used to. Um, and it was just kind of like, oh, what? And then I remembered, oh, yeah, um, of course, they have to comment on the re, you know, the de-aging process. They have yeah. to do that. They have to do all these things. The convoluted time story, of course, they had to do that. And I was like, okay, I get it. Um, also, 
for those wondering, the resolution to the he murdered thing thing fan, the only people accusing him of murder was the uh, fake CIA people who were actually mm. revealed to be no. Nazis and were killed. <laughs> so all the people accusing him were dead. But I move on. The the thing that really stood out to me in this film, the, other than I know you mentioned you mentioned her. She was fantastic. Phoebe Waller. And when I think of like I mentioned earlier, I was really afraid of different stuff going into this film. One of the things that really like I was worried it was going to be, oh, he's old and this new young female character, she's going to carry all the weight and we're going to prove that she's going to, you know, and that wasn't the case at all. He had to save her a few times. She saved him, too. But it was like Mm -hmm. they were very much equals. It wasn't like, oh, he's this old, frail man, you know, and I listen, I didn't tell your message, tell your story, whatever. But Indiana Jones is precious to me. So I was really worried they were going to make this like an agenda film. And I kept going on waiting for them to like do a big reveal of like this agenda or that agenda and make it like something weird. And they never did any of that. So I was really relieved that they didn't like make it all about female power. They didn't make it all about any other agenda They made it an Indiana Jones film. And that made me happy. I um, whenever you go through, though, one of the things that really stood out, it bothered me at first. And I don't know if you guys caught it. Whenever you see Harrison Ford, it started doing the dun dun dun, dun but it didn't do the whole thing. And then the next time we do a little bit more of it. And it didn't do the full thing until the very end when he yeah. found himself. And I was like, oh, man, That's so cool. he like, I'm sorry, but John Williams is just phenomenal. The way he was able to tell that story just through the music of Indiana Jones slowly rediscovering himself. I was like, that's um, wow. I knew there was okay. something off about the music, like in that respect. And then now that you say that, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And I, I was struggling with it because I was like. Why they did it a little bit more. The one that I realized they did it slightly more was whenever like they were getting to the boats. And I was like, nothing significant happened right here. Like I was expecting to be shortstop or someone because they did more of the music. I was like, oh, okay. And then I was like, nope, we're still not going to do the whole thing. And I was like, what are you waiting for? It wasn't till the credits rolled that they finally did the full like number. I was like, oh, oh. (laughs) And that just like the way that added to the story for me was so cool. Um, I think my biggest complaint really. And this really, weirdly enough, comes from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis always critiques how other people view people of the past as like dumb and whatever. And like, no, if you pay attention, when when people of the past talk about the dragons, they're talking about it really specifically. They didn't see some metal plane and think, yeah, there was 91 scales. Its eyes look like, you know, like that's just not that's not what happened. But you know what? I can overlook that. I had a really good time with the film. I'm glad we got to see Indiana be Indiana. Yeah. Um, even though I like Kingdoms, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull now that I kind of get it a little bit more and gave it another chance, it still was my least favorite. And just to have this to me was just a higher note to end on, especially because, you know, like you mentioned, they have where Mutt died. They showed the divorce papers with him and Marion. And you like I kept waiting for the, you know, the pen to drop and you get to the end and she's there because like you, like you mentioned, uh, Phoebe's character, Helena you know, knocked him out, drug him back, told everybody he's back. She goes, she says you're back. Are you really back? And you have that where like they recreate the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's like, where does it not hurt? Because, you know, they're older now. <laughs> it's like here, you know, where does. Yeah. And it just that scene that was so cool. Oh, I was okay. like, man, I literally I got the goosebumps. I was like, this is this is Indiana. This is how I needed to see him. Gave mm-hmm. me closure in a fantastic way. Yeah. Um, I, even their love story has always been something great to me. And I'm glad I revisited the part of their story that was in um, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, because I feel like that really added to it once I, you know, got over myself. 
<laughs> and just kind of seeing that relationship played out, his story really kind of wrapped up. And then the, the way they introduced Phoebe Waller, I, I really hope they do more with that character. Yeah. And the finishing touch for me, why I'm glad I saw it in theater. Credits were rolling. Parents took their kids to this movie. And I, I got to overhear a few kids talking about it, right? And, you know, they're talking about, oh, this was the coolest thing ever. One parent's like, oh, is that your favorite movie now? And then I hear one kid go, mom, I don't think Helena has cooties. <laughs> I about died. I was like, kid's first crush. Now nah, that's how you do oh, that. That's awesome. That's yeah, awesome. It, was, it was pretty funny. It was a good time. And just getting to see, of course, you know, like you go through a loss of your son. Yeah, you lose a part of yourself. You know, um, for those who followed a long time. I've gone through a terrible accident and it's hard to find yourself sometimes. You know, I think we all go through stuff and just kind of having that play such an important part of this movie, part of these shows that we talked about today. I, I think it's just a really powerful thing. Um, did you guys have any other final comments either on this movie or just the idea in general of like what it means to find yourself and know who you are? I would say in Christ, but you know, I guess not everybody listens to Christian. So what to you guys, what does it mean to really find yourself? I was going to say, like, it's been really interesting to see this theme in particular play across in, like, multiverse stuff. I mean, like, I mean, across yeah. the Spider-Verse, I could just go on and on about how brilliantly that encapsulates, like, <laughs> so you know, good. the idea, oh my gosh, the idea of, like, you know, is this the tragedy that makes Spider-Man, you know, is, is that necessary? And it it just delves into that so much. And um, I know that's not really answering the question, but, uh, but I, uh, but no, it's just looking at, I think, all the facets that make us who we are are so important. And like, you know, and I like with Dial Destiny, it showcases like the good and the bad, like, you know, the tragedy he has to go through um, to kind of rediscover himself, but also the joy he finds in, you know, being Indiana Jones and discovering. And I think, and like, um, and like, I, I think because after Mutt died, he didn't think he could be kind of a father figure again and he gets to rediscover that. So yeah. it's like all those elements that come into play and, I think that can apply to our own lives is like um, just looking at the it, the different facets, both like spiritually and experience wise that make us who we are, that are all really important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Adam, do you have anything uh, you wanted to add uh, just to the theme yeah. in general? Or? Well, you know, and it's such a, you know, and I know you said that not everyone's a Christian, but, you know, I think, yeah, so I might get a, just a tad on the preachy side. I apologize ahead of time. Um, but I think it's such a testament to God's creation that we've been wrestling with this question of who we are, what are identities, what are we in this big grand universe since the entire history. If you look at inter and entertainment, uh, the, the medium of, of uh, that visual medium of entertainment, where it may be stage, may it be comic books, answering that question. I mean, it goes all the way back to Oedipus Rex. Uh, which was a Greek play, the Greek strategy of Oedipus Lack, that, that argument of uh, who is this, he, you know, he's a, he's a king that inherits a kingdom and uh, kills the king and inherits the kingdom and lives this life out only to, you know, in the, as he's trying to run away from a prophecy saying that he would kill his dad and sleep with his mom and only to discover that he did exactly that. And, you know, so it's, it, we've been struggling with this question our entire existence. And I believe as I get older, as I look at the universe and as I look at the human condition, I'm more and more convinced that we can only find those answers in God and only find those answers in the Bible, you know, and it makes me sad because, you know, you know, we look at these wonderful stories and we're just like, you look at the world on 
our country now more than ever is asking this question, who we are and what is identity and what does it mean? And, you know, we look, we turn to this entertainment for answers and really we need to be turning to God. And I think it is some really cool. It's, it's really cool to sit and analyze, you know, the truth that the world actually stumbles upon in searching for truth. And then it's interesting to see what the world stumbles upon and then rejects. And there's a whole conversation that could be had, but, you know, I think for like me, you know, I, I have struggled with my identity for so much in life. You know, I struggled with a little bit of uh, gender dysphoria in my youth and I struggled with, you know, what does it, you know, what does it mean after a, a troubling childhood and who am I as a father, who am I as a, as a husband? And, you know, um, yeah, I think it's such an important question. I think it, I think, you know, uh, my encouragement to anyone out there listening to, to try to try to see what your identity looks like through the gospel and uh, see what, see how that makes you feel and see how that maybe turns your brain around. Yeah. I mean, um, identity crisis, gender dysmorphia, um, you know, you know, e even when we're thinking of um, dissociative identity order, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things on like real mental issues that, you know, psychologists are probably good for, but I think there's deeper than that. There are these, like everybody struggles with the basic thing of like, who are you? What is your purpose in the universe and all that thing? And that's where I think a lot of people turn to religion. I am one of those, obviously. Um, and, and I think I think it's a good thing. I think it's a good thing to really wonder who you are, what is your purpose here and all that. Um, C.S. Lewis writes my favorite book, The Four Loves. And ultimately, he comes to all loves fail in light of God's love. And God's love is really the purpose of all of mm. this whole mess. Mm. But one of the chapters, he talks about um, friendship. And how when you lose somebody, you don't just lose that person, but you lose that person's part in someone else. So um, for those of you who like have a grandparent, like, you know, there's some parts of your cousin, some part of your parents that really only come alive around that person. When they're gone, that part of those other people who are still here is also gone. So I think when we think of identity, you always have to turn to like, what part of you is bringing that alive in other people, that love alive in other people, that parts of other people too. Like, are you bringing the best out of other people or the worst? Um, if a scroll were to imitate you, would it suddenly have new values and purpose and not be able to be evil anymore? Or <laughs> would it still be a scroll? You know, um, mm. yeah, I'd be a little goofy, but I still feel like it's a good question to ask good things to ponder. With that, though, we are going to go ahead and start doing our wrap up here. Um, and for our what's news, rather than just kind of doing our usual to kind of do in our usual like what you recommend we want to pick one of these three if you just had to recommend one of these three if someone hasn't seen any of them what do you think they should absolutely stop and go see honestly it's hard for me not to say strange new worlds i love that series but i love indiana jones indiana jones is always just at the heart of who i am talking about identity um some part of me is made alive when indiana jones is on the screen <laughs> So I'm going to have to go dial a destiny. It's going to be my pick of these three. Um, Kevin, if you had to recommend one, I know you haven't seen them all, but. <laughs> yeah, no, but I, but I second dial destiny even there. And uh, part of it too is just like, I mean, I love streaming and stuff, but I'm always a big proponent of the big screen theatrical experience. And, and I love that. I mean, you told that story about um, the family that went, I think this is a great one to take your family too. And um, it's a great, like, I can, I can imagine the awe and wonder that like, kids would experience watching this on the big screen. So definitely go see it while it's in theaters. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Adam, Adam, do you had anything you wanted to 
add like those three? Would you? Uh, um, definitely Secret Invasion. I mean, I'm a big fan of that. I I I, I realized, and I don't think I realized till now how much I'm into superheroes more than other things. <laughs> it just kind of occurred yeah, to me. It's like I get that. I'm really more into superheroes more than a lot of other things. So I really enjoy Secret Invasion. I think I think there are criticisms, but I think if you just kind of step back and enjoy the ride, I think it's really cool. Nice, nice. Well, we did one comment I wanted to show from Facebook. I th- actually no, it's on, it's on YouTube. Someone watching live. Um, this was Christian, one of our hosts. He's just finished recording another episode, but he says, as far as the question, I've always understood it best by realizing who God is first before I focus on me. Um, after complaining about the 200 limit, <laughs> he finished. He says, after focusing on who God is, I then ask, who did he make me to be? And what can I do about that? Um, and yeah, I think that's right. Saying, right. Yeah, it's just right to the heart of the question that we're asking here. Um, guys, let us know what you think, um, how you wrestle with these questions. What do you think like from the Bible or from these shows? Or if you were like, man, y'all are just wrong about one of these. Like, man, that Strange New World is stupid, Josh. <laughs> let me know. <laughs> Drop it in the comments. Of course, hit the like button, subscribe, get notifications when we release new stuff. We appreciate all of your time. Thank you guys for joining me. And remember, we're all the chosen people, a geekdom of priests. This was an Anazao Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazao Ministries podcast network.